During these challenging times, your local grocery outlet is here to help. Our independent operators are working hard to keep the stores clean, stocked, and open for you. We are receiving and stocking new product daily. Please check your local store's Facebook page often for developments on individual store hours, product availability, and when product will be arriving. For 74 years, Grocery Outlet has been proud to serve the communities we are part of, and we care very deeply about your safety. From all your friends here at Grocery Outlet, stay safe. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. What? We have breaking news on this 438th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We are here. Hope all is well with you. We uh, just flashed in front of my eyes just a couple minutes ago. The Oklahoma Sooners will be without at least three players for their college football playoff semifinal game against LSU at the Peach Bowl on December 28th because of suspensions, sources confirmed on Wednesday. It wasn't immediately clear if the players, starting defensive end Ronnie Perkins, running back Ramondre Stevenson, and receiver Trajan Bridges would also miss the CFB CFP National Championship game on January 13th if the Sooners defeat number one LSU in their semifinal game. So uh, again, real quickly, some uh, breaking news as the Oklahoma Sooners will be without, without at least three players for their playoff semifinal game against LSU at the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl on December 28th. They have not... And I repeat, they have not uh, told us what the suspensions are for. Lincoln Riley was asked at National Signing Day news conference in Norman, Oklahoma on Wednesday, and all he said is, unfortunately at this time, I cannot comment on it. So the uh, I, would, I would believe in my heart of hearts that LSU would be at least a 7-10 to 10 point favorite in this game right off the top of my head. And without three guys, it probably just got a little harder for Lincoln Riley's guys, and I don't think it's ever it's really going to matter. I think LSU and Ohio State are on a collision course to meet each other, and I had said the week of January 6th, I was wrong. It's the week of January 13th, so that Monday night, January 13th, will be the national championship game in college football. So, as we welcome you to this 438th episode of Unscripted, last couple of weeks we've gone to our friend Walter Cherpinski's website at uh, walterfootball.com. Is that right? Yeah, and more specifically for these top five lists, we've been reviewing his new book, A Safety and a Field Goal, and taking a look at his top five lists and right. doing our own. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had draft bus, and last week we had uh, free agent bus. This week, we took it a little different. I have a f- top five. I did not look at Walter's website. This is just from the top of my my uh, worthless information from my head. But what ifs in the NFL? Is that how we're describing this? What ifs? Yeah. So uh, what he says is, you know, it, it's basically looking at everybody at some point or another looks back at their lives and yeah. and regrets something. And so he says, you know, what if I bought Google stock before the value skyrocketed? Got it. Skyrocketed. What if I asked that cute barista out while I was overpaying for mediocre coffee? What if I hadn't stalked my hot classmate and gotten a restraining order as a consequence? Right. Yeah, right. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So um, 
I have five here. One, two, three, four, five. I got actually got six, but doesn't matter. I'll do a top five. Did you want me to start, or are you going to start? I'll, I'll go. So okay. I'm I'm representing Walter's side because right. again, I haven't been watching as long. Even though I've been really into it for oh good uh, five to ten years, and I've been doing fantasy for maybe fifteen. Uh, before that, I didn't know that much. Uh, and so for what Walt says is, I mean, he didn't really start watching till 1990, and so his ones are going to be from his viewing lifetime and i would imagine most of yours are like you could look at you know what if i mean well i mean there's got to be stuff in the 40s you could put in your list and maybe you did i did one yeah okay but anyway so waltz are from 1990 but yours don't have to be it's whatever you want here so uh yeah okay so he just says as example for football ones his ideas were something like what if we had recovered that fumble what if our cornerback didn't drop that interception what if our owner wasn't a moron who put our new stadium two hours out of the uh, outside of the city? Sorry, 49er fans. Um, but right, uh, right, you're right. right. So anyway, okay. So number five, okay. what if on Walter's list is, what if the Eagles listened to their fans and drafted Ricky Williams? <laughs> That's a good one. Right? And so, uh, <laughs> of course, they took McNabb and the fans booed. And the fans, as he says, weren't booing McNabb. They were booing the organization for not listening to them. Right is what the problem was. Of course, the organization ended up being correct. They ended up being right to draft Donovan McNabb, who was very good for them, and Ricky Williams was a complete bust who ended up smoking pot (laughs) and going to the CFL and doing nothing there even. And, you know, remember about Ricky Williams, Mike Ditka, when he was the coach of the New Orleans Saints, his draft year, sent his whole draft to somebody. Remember that? He sent his entire draft Plus first and third round pick right. on top of that. Right. And then somebody so they could draft Ricky Williams. Yeah. Just, I mean, and then joked about playing golf during the first round of the next <laughs> draft because... He didn't have anything to but do. But I mean, geez, that's just unbelievable that they did that. I mean, I mean, that, that's that's got to be the only time that's ever happened. Trading like your entire draft class for one guy. I mean, you have to be pretty pretty sure of that guy if you're gonna draft it but anyway so that's walter's number five so what walt does then too which is interesting is he looks at the butterfly effect and how history would have changed for many many organizations and so i'll just read the headlines of those not get into them but he's these are the things walt says would have happened if the eagles had drafted ricky williams okay andy reed is not a successful nfl head coach True. The Cincinnati Bengals become an NFL powerhouse in the 2000s, and the Steelers don't win Super Bowl 40. That'd be different. Uh, the Saints also would have been a dominant team in the 2000s without all, like, because they ended up having some okay times, and then they, without all those draft picks, like, if you would have had some of those, imagine how good they could have been. So it would have just been a massive ripple effect. Maybe the Bengals wouldn't have been the Bungles, and yeah. just all this stuff. But I mean,. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are guys that might have been worth it in history that if you had given up your whole draft class for them, like maybe like, I don't know, Lawrence Taylor or Gary Sanders or something maybe, but gee, that's <laughs> Ricky, a, Williams. <laughs> Ricky Williams, Ricky uh, Williams, just, hey, it's just what we were just talking about, projecting from college to the NFL, there's just, uh, I don't know if anyone will ever figure out that formula. So am I going five down? Yeah, yeah. Give okay, us your, so your my fifth. number five, okay, yeah, oh, my definitely. number five. My number five goes back to the mid-60s. And what would the landscape of the NFL look like if the NFL, and, and at that time football in general, if they hadn't had Chiefs owner Lamar Hunt push hard for an NFL-AFL merger in 1965? Uh, Lamar Hunt was instrumental. Lamar Hunt originally was the owner of the Dallas Texans who moved the team to Kansas City in the early 60s. And obviously 
with the help of Al Davis, who, remember, folks don't remember this sometimes, and maybe some don't even know. And again, this under the qualify of worthless information in my head, Al Davis was the commissioner of the AFL in 1964 before he became the coach of the Oakland Raiders. And Al Davis worked tirelessly with Lamar Hunt. And at that time, the commissioner of the NFL was a guy by the name of Pete Rozelle. And I'll have a mention about Pete Rozelle. He will be my number one. But can you imagine the landscape of the NFL today if there wouldn't have been an AFL-NFL merger in 1965? You probably wouldn't see teams like the Oakland Raiders, the Denver Broncos, the then Boston Patriots. Um, who knows what would have happened? Because I do know this, the AFL was bleeding money at that time and they needed something to keep them going. And again, you include the Buffalo Bills in that. that was the, those were the teams that made up the AFL that were brought into the NFL in 65 and probably saved some of those franchises. So again, uh, Lamar Hunt, unbelievable owner, at the time of the Kansas City Chiefs and had a huge role in the merger of the AFL and the NFL in 1965. Yeah, and Walt had said that if he had, you know, gone back before 1990, I mean, that was an obvious one to include, certainly, but uh, he just stuck it to things since he was paying attention. All right, so number four, and I don't want to give away anything on Mike's list, and I don't know anything on Mike's list. I haven't looked at it, so I don't know what he's going to say. However, this one... Sure looks like it's going to be on Mike's list. If this one isn't on Mike's list, I'll be surprised, even though this whole what-if concept is so open-ended. Yeah. You could come up with infinite things that could be on this list. There could be some little fumble that everyone's forgotten about that bugs you to this day, and that's it, right? But number four on Walt's list, you probably know what I'm going to say the way I've hyped it up. What if the 49ers drafted Aaron Rodgers first overall in 2005? The world would be a completely different place. That's for sure. So he mentioned some of the things going on with that. Obviously, the 49ers would have been a dynasty again by the looks of it. Uh, the Packers would be terrible. I, I mean, geez. He actually has a list here. I want to find it. So these are the quarterbacks who could have succeeded Favre, and this is who the uh, Packers would have been left with at, what, 24th overall? 24, yeah. yeah. Uh, if if uh, Rodgers had gone first. Here's who the Packers, you think they would have chosen one of these guys. So here's who they are. Brady Quinn, Brian Brome, Matt Flynn, Tim Tebow, Jimmy Clausen, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, Christian Ponder, Andy Dalton, and Colin Kaepernick. Now, oh God! Now, honestly, those last two would be the best of the bunch. The rest would have been completely useless. Right. Uh, Andy Dalton's been okay. Sure. If he would have been surrounded with a great team, and he went to the playoffs five years in a row. I mean, right. he's certainly better than the rest of those guys. Kaepernick was from Wisconsin. Yes, he was. So I could have seen them really uh, taking him. And who knows? There's a chance that Dalton or Kaepernick could have been good. Sure. Kind of doubt it, but it's possible. But those, the rest of those are just a bunch of nobodies. And actually, the Packers did have Brian Brom. His brother now is the coach at Purdue University, and he's the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator at Purdue. But Brian Brom was in Packers camp, uh, didn't last one season. Uh, well, I also wanted to say the other two things he says mentioned that he mentioned would have happened were he thinks Sherman would have left the Seahawks lot earlier and Bounty Gate may never have happened. And he, and he says, if you think ESPN overhypes LeBron James and Tiger Woods, you haven't seen anything. There were constant updates about Favre and whether he was going to retire. They'd interrupt broadcasts, you know. They, 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 he was just expecting they would have seen, like, Brett Favre picks his nose. Does this mean he's going to retire? And, just, and I mean, I think, I think back to John Madden. And like 
if you ever watch Frank Caliendo, the great impressionist, <laughs> his imitation of John Madden, he's always Spot like... Spot on. You know, you know, it was great, Brett Favre. Yeah, and, and he, you know, I, I, I love, he's got this great bit where he's imitating Madden and he says, you know, I think that we should retire Favre's number four, not just from the Packers, not just from the NFL, but from the entire numerical system. It should just be one, two, three, Favre, five, six, seven, eight, and, and it's great. But yeah, anyway, like Brett Favre, Brett Favre, Brett Favre all the time. All right, my next one on my list, I've got two. Um, so, but I, I already mentioned this one, so I won't go through it again. I'll just make mention. What if Green Bay Packers coach at the time, Curly Lambeau, couldn't secure a loan to pay his bills from Bears owner George Papa Bear Hallis in the 1930s? Um, you wouldn't have a rivalry that just was re-engaged. I don't know if that's the proper word, but they met for the 200th time in the regular season just last Sunday. You certainly wouldn't have Bears and Packers if he wouldn't have been able to secure a loan. And unbelievably, he's trying to secure a loan from Papa Bear. But my number four on my list, for the new list, if you will, what if then-Cowboys owner Clint Murchison hadn't sold his beloved Dallas Cowboys to Jerry Jones Ooh. in 1989. Um, I think you'd have a much more successful Dallas Cowboys team. I think you'd have a much more successful over a long period of time. I mean, when Der Jerry took over, obviously, the first smart thing he did was bring in Jimmy Johnson, and he got him with, with the combination of Jimmy Johnson. And then, of course, his third Super Bowl was under Barry Switzer, but the foundation of those Cowboys teams that won three titles in four years in the early to mid nineties was built on Jimmy Johnson's drafting ability and Jimmy Johnson's swindling of the Minnesota Vikings and the Herschel Walker trade. And that built the foundation of the Cowboys dynasty in the 1990s. So what if Cowboys owner Clint Murchison at the time hadn't sold his beloved Dallas Cowboys to Jerry Jones in 1989? I think we'd have over the long period I think we'd have a more successful Cowboys team than we have now. Interesting. All right, so this is an interesting one. Uh, at number three, Walt has, what if Jerome Brown and Derek Thomas hadn't passed away? And Ooh. so he's got uh, Jerome yeah. Brown, who uh, had just been voted to a second Pro Bowl, recording nine sacks in 1991, died in a car accident. Derek Thomas was 33, but... It was still playing at a really high level, had a massive blood clot in February 2000. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, they were just amazing players in their position and just taken away uh, when they were still playing at a high level. And uh, so Walt suggests that the Eagles may have won Super Bowl 27. Uh, the Cowboys wouldn't be considered a dynasty and Brett Favre would never win a Super Bowl. Hmm. Um, he's just yeah. looking at the ripple effect. Trent Green may have won a Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, and I mean, he just goes into great detail. But I mean, just when you get guys like that, when a top player goes down, just the effect it has on his own team, the rivals who now have a better chance of winning. Yeah, it it's just uh, almost impossible to really factor in how history would have been altered severely. If you are just joining us, we welcome you to episode number 438 of Unscripted. And uh, Chris and I are going through the what ifs in the National Football League, and again with our, with uh, some some assist from Walter Cherpinski and his uh, his unbelievably uh, wonderful website and the information available on it. Uh, we're going through our top five. We're going five down to one. My number three of what ifs in the NFL. 
what if Charles Woodson's fumble in the 2001 AFC Divisional Playoff game against the New England Patriots, that of course was Tom Brady's first Super Bowl run, if they had allowed that fumble, which should have been a fumble, not the tuck rule, what if, I believe in my heart of hearts, the Oakland Raiders would have gone on to much more success throughout the early 2000s and to present day. I also believe in my heart of hearts that John Gruden never would have left to go to Tampa Bay to ultimately lead the Buccaneers to a Super Bowl. And what if this happens? I ultimately truly believe that the Oakland Raiders would not be going to Las Vegas next year. That's how strongly I feel about this one. Because Woodson obviously stripped the ball from Brady, but because for whatever reason, I am not a, I'm not I'm not a fan of Tom Brady, but I'm not I don't hate or dislike Tom Brady, but to me that was very obvious that that was a fumble. It should have been uh, given the ball, should have been given possession to the Oakland Raiders. Oakland was in the lead at the time. Who knows what happens, but I truly believe in my heart of hearts that that was the biggest hurdle for the Oakland Raiders to overcome, winning a game in Boston. They had the game won, and here comes the tuck rule, and look what obviously has happened to the New England Patriots since then. They've won six Super Bowl championships, and the Raiders are on their way to Southern Nevada. Excuse me, Southern Nevada. Yeah, uh, the tuck rule, great. That's a great, great one, Mike. Honestly, that is about as good as it gets. Uh, the tuck rule would certainly be on my list if I made my own top five. I'm sure. I'm sure of that. And that was just a travesty. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the red, white, and blue team called the Patriots uh, <laughs> getting a boost right after 9/11. I'm sure that's just a sure. That's just a conspiracy theory. Sure, I'm. I'm right there with you. Yeah. Okay. The number two, what if on Walt's list is. And this is a pretty obvious one when you think about it. What if the Colts picked Ryan Leaf over Peyton Manning? <laughs> they, right. they may be moving again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Colts would have gone back to Baltimore and then like to... Actually, well, what? No, that was in 98. So that was right before the Ravens moved, isn't it? Did the Ravens move in... Or no, they moved no, in Ravens moved in 95 to Baltimore. Oh, yeah, it's at the new Browns. And the Browns in started in 99. Okay, so they were already in Baltimore, so right. you couldn't have gone there. But yeah, can you imagine? That would have... That, that would have changed a, some things for sure. Yeah, well, here's some of the things he suggests. The Chargers would have taken the Colts spot as the team often challenging the Patriots in the oh, AFC. okay, for sure. Right? Uh like here's some suggestions: Ladanian Tomlinson, a 49er; Reggie Wayne, a Charger; Drew Brees, a Falcon; Michael Vick, a Colt. Like all of these could have been sure were very likely. Like everything could have changed. Like people who who people look back at it as some of the best players of the last 20 years on their teams would have been completely different. Um, Matt Ryan, a Colt; Eli Manning, a Falcon; Philip Rivers, a Giant and a Super Bowl champion. Like I mean. Yeah. Seriously, like Philip Rivers, that's probably where it would have worked out better for him. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know what I did? I, I went back. And so when I went and marched in the Rose Bowl parade, uh, January 1st, 1998, right? I had the choice. We all had the choice. We could either watch the Rose Bowl game in, in the Rose Bowl there or do something. Else. And I don't remember what the alternative was, but I wasn't into football other than CFL at the time at all. So I chose whatever the other activity was. And I went somewhere and did something in LA or Pasadena. And I don't, and I don't even remember what it was. And it's too bad. So I went and I watched the, uh, at least the last few minutes of that Rose Bowl that where Ryan Leaf was playing for Washington, Washington and Michigan. And yeah. They lost to Michigan. And I know it's a very small sample size, but Ryan Leaf did not look good in the fourth quarter of that game. You're right. Like he looked really bad. And so I actually wanted to go through and look at Ryan Leaf, 
highlights in college, which there should be a lot of them in college. Right. And uh, I didn't really find a lot uh, there. Maybe people have just never taken the time to upload it to YouTube. But was it just like Jamarcus where he just bombed it all the time and it worked out and he looked good or what was the Well, deal? you know, um, first of all, Ryan Leaf was a big man. I mean... Oh, it was the Eric Lindros thing where yeah, he's like a man amongst boys. Correct. And, and you know, he obviously threw a big ball because he was just, a again, he was physically imposing. And, um, you know, they basically, to my recollection, I mean, I didn't know a lot about the Washington State Cougars at that time. Mike Price was their coach and their only marketable and their only guy that recognizable name was Ryan Leaf. And, uh, but, you know, that year when they went undefeated until their loss to Michigan in the Rose Bowl, Washington State just literally, to my recollection, just beat the crap out of people because Ryan Leaf would throw it over them, threw it, and sometimes he'd take off and just run over people. So, there, you know, he was a very good college quarterback, but obviously he had some demons inside, and those demons obviously came out in full force when he finally made an NFL roster. And, uh, you know, I've said this a lot of times, and a lot of it's in joke and in jest, but anybody from Great Falls, Montana is a little touched. <laughs> My number two is what, this is a little different, but I think it's appropriate. What would the Cleveland Browns look like today if Art Modell hadn't fired Bill Belichick before moving the team to Baltimore? Duh, I, think, wow. I, think the, I think what happens if Modell gives proper time to allow Belichick to institute his system and his way of doing things, I don't believe, I think the biggest ramification is we don't have the Baltimore Ravens because the Cleveland Browns never leave Cleveland. I think if they would have given Belichick the proper time to do the things that, I don't think Belichick is doing anything different now in Boston than he would have done in Cleveland. But the difference is Mr. Kraft as an owner versus Art Bonehead Modell as an owner. And I truly believe in my heart of hearts that if Bill Belichick would have been given the proper time to, you know, uh, put his program in motion, I believe that the Cleveland Browns, there would not be a Cleveland Browns current 2.0 version. We'd still be talking about the original Cleveland Browns and we wouldn't have a Baltimore Ravens. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. All right. I'm excited to see what your number one is here, but Walt's number one. What if Drew Bledsoe never would have gotten injured? And then oh Tom, God. Tom yeah, Brady, and Tom comes Brady in. takes over and, yeah. and uh, Drew Bledsoe's on his way to Buffalo. So Walt suggests Bill Belichick isn't considered a Hall of Fame coach. Peyton Manning is considered the greatest quarterback of all time, who honestly, some people already consider sure. him that, frankly. Right. Right. Just like, I mean, a lot of people will consider Peyton Manning or, or, uh, Aaron Rodgers, the best pure talent quarterback of all time, even though they don't have as many Super Bowls as Brady. Uh, and personally, I agree with that. I think that Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning are much more talented. I think if you put Brady on some of those Colts teams or even those Packers teams, and you put Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning with Bill Belichick this whole time, right. I, you, you, I honestly, I don't believe that. I And I, frankly, during that whole the whole prime, what should have been Brady's prime, he went 10 or 11 years without winning any Super Bowls. Right. He made a lot of good appearances and a lot of division titles and stuff. But uh, they they won three in the at the beginning and then three recently. But other than that, they were they were actually very close to being considered, uh, you know, the Phil Mickelson or can't get over the hump type thing for a long time. Um, numerous other quarterbacks make the Super Bowl, uh, including Cordell Stewart, for example. 
Uh, Tom Brady and Giselle never meet. Of That's course. right. Oh, right. Yeah. He, he wouldn't have the Brazilian sure. supermodel sure. girlfriend or whatever. Who makes wife. more than he does. Yeah, exactly. You know, and he says, Walt says, how upsetting is the prospect that Giselle would never have developed the goal of making Brady look like a rooster with weird haircuts throughout their years of marriage. I don't know where Walt gets these, but every week when he posts his, his pics, uh, he finds a picture of Tom Brady that is so horrible and embarrassing and just ridiculous. I do, like, I'm wondering if they're Photoshopped. They don't look like they are, but he just, I don't know where he finds these, but just makes them. The thing is, Tom Brady's a geek. Oh, yeah. I mean, he really yeah. is, and yeah. he's just the luckiest friggin' guy. And I, I don't say that in any sort of resentment, but I mean, to have the same coach the whole time, who's a great coach, and the same system, and this... Like most guys, people, people forget geez. that Tom Brady was not the full time starter for his years at the University of Michigan, and to be the what? What was it? The I know it was the sixth round, but was it the one hundred ninety ninth pick or something like that? And to be able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish is unbelievable. But, but a lot of things had to fall in place to allow Tom Brady to do the voodoo that he's been doing all these years as the quarterback of the New England Patriots. No yeah, question. And, and then, of course, the other thing is that a lot of the most famous moments in Super Bowl history would have been erased. And, right. I mean, maybe we would have had other great moments instead. But, yeah, that's a crazy one. That kind of ties in with your tuck rule. The combination of Bledsoe getting injured with the tuck rule and even to a degree 9-11, because there's still a lot of people mm-hmm. that really consider that like, oh, the Patriots sure got a lot of breaks there. So I don't know, but uh, man, yeah, that's an interesting one. My number one um, is something that uh, I think um, was monumental in the transformation of the NFL from a football league to an international commodity. And, and I think we have a lot of thanks due to one person in particular. And that person is the former, and this is funny, when this guy was given the job as the commissioner of the National Football League, and I believe it was 1963 to be exact, I'm not quite sure, but Burt Bell was the commissioner of the National Football League at the time, and he resigned, and the guy that they brought in to replace Burt Bell was the PR man, get this, he was the public relations director of the Los Angeles Rams. And they gave him the job as the commissioner of the National Football League. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about one Pete Rozelle. If Pete Rozelle hadn't succeeded Burt Bell as commissioner of the National Football League, and again, I want to say 1963, with the radical idea of marketing the league properly and putting partnerships together like the NFL and TV. I mean, just think about what TV means to the football today and think about the revenues that TV generates And think about how the value of NFL franchises have escalated to the point of the Dallas Cowboys being worth billions in regard. And a lot of that is attributable to the billion-dollar contracts that they sign with Fox, uh, NBC, ABC, slash ESPN. um, And all of that is attributable to Pete Rozelle. Pete Rozelle put his marketing degree and his marketing ideas behind it uh, jazzed up the uniforms a little bit, brought cheerleaders onto the sidelines. Um, obviously, his negotiation in getting the NFL on a, in a weekly time slot, uh, and and again, and repeatedly weekly time slot with all these networks. Um, it's amazing to me. Look about, think about this: how important and what a lot of people believe that the Super Bowl should be a national holiday. 
<laughs> it's interesting. Well, they really do because, and and the reason, and, and a lot of people don't know this, but CBS and NBC simultaneously broadcast the Super Bowl. The same time, the same game, the same arena. They had two major networks televising that first Super Bowl between Green Bay and Kansas City. And that is attributable to Pete Rozelle. When the first Super Bowl was played in 65, 66, excuse me, 65 season, but the 66 Super Bowl, because it was in January of 66, it was called the AFL-NFL championship game. It was Pete Rozelle that introduced us to the Super Bowl. It was Pete Rozelle that introduced us to marketing the product that he he did wonderfully well in getting the word out. It was Pete Rozelle, and I don't mean to sound repetitive, but this guy played a major role in what the NFL is today. And now we're talking 50-some years ago. And what Pete Rozelle did in the infancy, infancy of television in the NFL and what he did and how he saw the NFL and how it trans, you know, and how it worked over television, live, you know, whatever. But it's unbelievable to me how Pete Rozelle changed the NFL and how he changed it 50-some years ago, and we're still reaping the benefits of Pete Rozelle here in 2000, almost 2020. And uh, Pete Rozelle had a lot to do with that, for sure. That's a really good one. Okay. So uh, I don't know when the next time is that we're going to do regular unscripted episodes, because I'm thinking, because Christmas is coming up here, I'm not sure what our schedule is going to be like. I know mine's all over the place. Mine is too. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, sometime in the next couple of weeks, wouldn't mind at least doing some sort of year-end, maybe review type thing or something like that. But the next time we do regular unscripted episodes, uh, I like uh, I want to continue with this top five we're doing. I'm having a lot of fun with this. And uh, so the next one on Walt's list, what do you think about this? Top five craziest random NFL facts. I'll give you some examples. Yeah, gonna... I, I, yeah. how do you want to go with that? That's my only I'll, question. I'll give top you... five crazy, Random NFL facts. Random NFL facts. Okay. Yeah. So, no, these are not his top five. I'll give you yeah. some random, just, just some ideas. Some examples yeah. Yeah, that yeah. he came up with. Okay. Some examples he suggests. For instance, it's fascinating that the Jets have never beaten the Eagles, despite both teams. So, the Jets have been around since 1960, the Eagles since 1933. The Jets have never beaten the Philadelphia Eagles ever. Wow. So, that something like that. I mean, now this is harder to look up. Yeah, I mean, this is something maybe you have to think. I mean, I could see some good, you might have some good Green Bay ones, especially something about the NFC North, maybe. But anyway, uh, here's some other ones. Um, only three players over the age of 40 have caught passes in the NFL. And two of them are Brett Favre and Tom Brady. <laughs> well, you know, Brett Favre's first, first pass as the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers in 1992, he came in in, in a mop-up role against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he threw his first pass to himself. Oh, it hit... Uh... It deflected off somebody, and he <laughs> caught it and ran for about a 10-yard gain. That's funny. So uh, that's hard to believe, though. I mean, you'd have to think this will change now that players can play, like Brady can play until they're older and all that. But I guess this must mean that only one non-quarterback over the age of 40 has ever caught a pass in the NFL. That's unbelievable. Jerry Rice didn't play till he was in his 40s. Yeah, so I don't even know who that I is. I don't even know who the third guy is. Yeah, but I mean, that's unbelie- That's an unbelievable fact. And then, of course, there's this one, which I believe you've brought up before. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals. I'm not sure if you were to, uh, you've, you've talked about how old the Cardinals are. Yes. But the Arizona Cardinals franchise yep. is older than the state of Arizona. Correct. 
Right. So there's something like that. So well, and I had I had one more what if. What if the Cleveland Browns, Detroit Lions, and the Arizona Cardinals don't suck each and every year? <laughs> I say, think about this. It's been since 1964 for the Browns to win a championship. It's been 1954 for the Lions and never for the Cardinals to win a championship. And the saddest part is that the Cardinals have been around as long as the Packers and the Bears. Longer, haven't Longer. they? Longer. Well, yeah. You know what's even, you know what's another one? This wasn't officially a what if, and it just is a coincidence this ties in, but uh, our buddy Ryan likes to send me these funny memes and these pictures and these weird facts and stuff every week after the NFL games. And he sent me one showing uh, OJ Simpson, and I talked about how the year before he was drafted, it basically came down to one play that the Bills could have completed this pass and they didn't. And if they do, they basically win the game. And and because they lost, they get the draft pick that gets OJ. If OJ is never drafted by the Buffalo Bills, he never meets Nicole Brown. Jeez, uh, wow. I, I mean, and you think, and maybe the, well, I just, I mean, the ripple effect would have been crazy. The, uh, poof, the, I don't know. It's just, it's well, unbelievable. I've got you, a bit of an OJ Simpson for you, story for you. When OJ was, OJ's final year at USC was 1969, obviously, and he was the first-round draft pick of the Buffalo Bills in 69. But in 68, he was approached by an AFL team, and I can't remember which, uh, which AFL team it was, or maybe it was 65. It was, it, was, it was before the merger. But OJ was given a, a big contract proposal and he didn't take it. He wanted to play in the National Football League, but I can't. I wish I could remember which team it was. But there was a team that actually came to him. And um, well, here's here's a funny little bit of something. When Joe Namath was uh, eligible for the draft in the late '60s, he was drafted by the NFL and the AFL. And I can't again. My my mind is is leaving me a little bit. But he was approached by a team in the NFL, and I can't remember who it was. But Sonny Werblin, who was the owner of the New York Jets at the time, gave or proposed, gave him a contract offer of $400,000 a year for a kid out of college in the mid, in the mid to late 60s. That just, and that's why Joe Namath eschewed everybody and went to the, the New York Jets because they were, they were just offering more money. So that was part of the, of the battle between the AFL and the NFL. You could get drafted by both leagues, and then it was, became a bidding war. But at that time, the AFL wasn't in, in such good financial shape, and there was some, obviously some apprehension from these guys that if they go to these teams, are they going to get paid? Whereas the NFL was still established. and, and uh, So uh, I'm interested in doing something like that. Um, I've enjoyed doing this. This, I can tell you, though, is going to take a little bit more research. What we could do, if you don't want to, I, you don't, you could, there's, there's a few other ones still we can do instead. If you think this is too much work, I could just tell you what his are right now, and we could just Sure, let's do one. that. Okay, let's just go, because they're interesting. I think you'll like them, and yeah. I know it would be a lot more research for sure. So, okay, number five, top five craziest random NFL fact, according to Walt. Okay, so how many teams are in the AFC East? Four. Yeah, the same as every division, right? Yep. Okay, four teams. Fact number five. The Jets are tied for fifth in AFC East divisional titles with the Houston Oilers. What? <laughs> Jesus. Fifth. <laughs> in a four-team division, the Jets are tied for fifth with a team that doesn't exist. Doesn't as exist anymore. Anymore. Wow. Uh, 
like the like the Titan, they, they became the Titans, sure. and, and then they moved to the AFC South in two thousand two. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else you want me to say about nothing. That, but that's no. that's unbelievable. That's but. well, we'll think of something. We'll stay in contact, and um, depending on. But I, I like I like doing something like this. It gets my brain going a little bit. I just like doing it. That I think more than anything for me, it just. Gets my brain moving. Yeah, yeah, no, you'd want to do a bunch of research. So let me just quickly finish this off. Sure, then. go ahead. Sure. Okay. Uh, crazy fact about the NFL number four. Yep. <laughs> I love this one. Peyton Manning's longest career rush is longer than Trent Richardson's longest career rush. Oh, my God. Be- because <laughs> How long Mr. is it? Mr. Uh, for somehow, Mr. Statue, Peyton yeah. Manning, who I love, yeah, yeah. one time he ran for 33 yards on a rush. Oh, my God. And Trent Richardson's longest was 32. And, uh, you know, who was it? There, was, there were people. Uh, who was it? Um, someone on CBS said, here's the argument for Trent Richardson. Before he was drafted. Right. Here's the argument for Trent Richardson. He's better than Adrian Peterson. Because everyone's like, oh, is he good? He's better. I remember, though, you know who nailed it on Trent Richardson? Of all people, Jim Brown of the Cleveland Browns, I remember him saying he runs too upright. He's he's not great. Don't draft him. And, uh, yeah, but they did. Uh, and Jim Brown is the only, in my opinion, is the best player still in the national football, in the history of the National Football League. Well, easily in the history of the Cleveland Browns. Well, and, for sure. And, but you think about it this way. Here's a guy that only played nine years, very similar to Barry Sanders, got out before he was 30, Led the AF or led the NFL in rushing all nine years he was in the league, and then just quits, and then almost, almost made a comeback with the Oakland Raiders at age forty-eight. I know, and ultimately didn't. And, and that would have uh, been neat, though. I think it would have tarnished his image, though. I think it would have. Tarn- Unless he just well, I'm awesome. Then it would have been the greatest sure. thing of all but time. How can you go from not playing competitive football from twenty-nine and not play for almost twenty years, and then come back and, I mean. If there's a guy that could have done it, it would have been Jim Brown. But I think the the greater concern was tarnishing his image if he would have come out and fallen flat on his face. Mm, okay. um, this one isn't as exciting because this one involves advanced statistics. But if you look at, there's some great advanced stats now. And if you look at all the advanced stuff that rates quarterbacks, Peyton Manning was as bad as Brady Quinn and Christian Ponder when he won a second Super Bowl with the Broncos when he was at the very end of his career. Right. And Jared Goff was once seven times worse than Brady Quinn. Jared Goff's 2016 season, before McVay came in and coached him up and made right. him really good Jeff as long Fisher. as he has a good line. Yeah. yeah. Jared Goff was literally a few times worse than everyone else. Uh, like, whoever's had the second worst rating, it's not even close to, to Goff in that season. The Let's see, I don't know when... Like, they only started doing these advanced stats in, I don't know, in the last... 10, 20 years, something like that. In that time, the second worst rating ever was Brady Quinn in one of his years where he had a DVOA, which is a defensive adju- defense adjusted value over average. So they mm-hmm. take all the plays you run right. and they don't give you credit. If you throw a bunch of yards in garbage time, that doesn't give you any credit. Right. It depends on like if it means anything or not. So one of Brady Quinn's was the worst, was second worst. He was like minus 6.7%, which is really bad. Jared Goff that season was minus 45.2%. Like, it was so much worse than anyone else's season. It was just ridiculous. So, 
what McVeigh has done has been amazing. The Rams O line sucks right now. Right. When the Rams O line is good or he gets protection, he still looks excellent. Right. He can if he has all day, he can put he, he can put a beautiful pass right on the money anywhere, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's great. But he needs the O line and he needs the coaching, and uh, yeah. Okay, number two, and there isn't a slight asterisk because this is only about ninety nine percent correct. But uh, even though these guys both played for the first time in 2001 and played their whole careers at the same time, yeah. Tom Brady and Michael Vick never played against each other. Huh. Although there was one game early on, I think right in 01, where uh, was it? I think the Chris Chandler, whatever his name was, got pulled for the Falcons in a blowout. And then Vick came in for a couple plays. If you don't count that right. as a rookie couple handoffs, uh, Brady and Vick somehow never played each other every time. Falcons or the Patriots played each other. One of them was hurt or uh-huh. out or something. So that was interesting. This one's going to blow your mind. And this is why I really wanted to do this one with you. Because this one, you're going, you're not going to believe that this is right. The number one crazy random NFL fact. Teams can finish an NFL game with only one point. How? Well, let's let's. I go. mean, we're not playing with the rouge like we're playing no. up here. It's not. It's not possible to win a game one nothing. That's not possible. Okay. But you can finish a game with one point. Okay. And it is called. It's something called. Have you ever heard of the conversion safety? No. Okay. No. So this Can't is the. Say that I have. This is the only way that you can finish an NFL game with one point. Obviously, you have no other scoring right. uh, than this, at least for yourself. But anyway, so a team has to score a touchdown on you. Okay. So you're down at least 6 nothing right there. Right. Okay? So then they go for an extra point. And whether they go for one or two doesn't matter. You need to, you know, block the kick, recover a fumble, interception, something like that, and head the other way, and you're trying to take it back. Okay. You get down there. You almost make it into the end zone. The other team makes you fumble the ball. Okay. And then they either take a safety there or, the, you know, the ball goes out the back of the end zone or whatever. That, that's what's called a conversion safety. And that's only worth one point, not a regular mm. safety that's worth two points. Okay. So if that happens, uh, <laughs> that's one point for the other team. So you could lose. You can lose a game. You couldn't, you couldn't win the game. Right. You would, you would, uh, the other, because the other team, the other team would, couldn't have any less than six. They couldn't beat you seven to one. Right. They could beat you eight to one if they also got a real safety on sure. you. Sure. So they can beat you six one, eight one, or higher. Uh, but yeah, so that's one, one to nothing. <laughs> if you, yeah, you can't win one nothing. But uh, but the conversion safety, uh, Wall says it hasn't occurred since nineteen forty, and it's just such a tough thing. I could see it happening at some point. But even if it did happen. I mean, it's likely that that team would also score some other points at some point in the game, so they oh, wouldn't yeah. actually finish with one. But uh, if you want to stump people on some trivia, ask them if it's possible to finish an NFL game scoring one point and then win lots of money off them. Wow. I, I Yeah, I'd never never heard, heard about a conversion point. Um, that's really something. We've got a run on this 438th episode of Unscripted. We thank you, as always, for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. Oh, wait, real quick. Sorry, yep. last thing. Go ahead. I just wanted to say then, okay, since we did that, uh, how about this one for next time? This is next on Walt's list. How about next time we do these, uh, we do top five players never to make the Pro Bowl. Top five never to make Pro Bowl. Yeah, okay. I'm in for I that. I think you can do that one. I can do that one off the top of my head. Yeah, sounds good. 
We have to run on this 438th episode of Unscripted. As always, we thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. For the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.